Eddie George tells the story of his journey to Tennessee State and then also his view on HBCU coaching. Also, Virginia Union versus Virginia State is setting up to be the regular season CIAA championship game. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one Daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, of course, I'm Darian Gray, a.k.a. The Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports Editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter, at South Exclusives, which you can find right here at the bottom of the screen. But then also, if you're on the audio side, don't forget the S on the end. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more when you visit the official Locked On Sports Booking, or excuse me, Locked On Podcast Network Sports Book. That is FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And I want to talk about Eddie George. Eddie George visited Club Shay Shay, which is Shannon Sharp's podcast. And it was some funny things that came from that. I'm still listening to the interview and I can't wait to finish it. But I thought two of the more interesting things that he said was, one second, excuse me. One of the more interesting things that he said was his view on HBCU coaching and then also his journey to Tennessee State. I'm going to start off with the former because I feel like his view of HBCU coaching is the view that everyone should have. When Shannon Sharp asked him, what's the biggest hurdle that you face? What's the biggest hurdle you feel like HBCUs face? It made it sound as if that's the same answer to the question, and it really should not be. Because I think too often we put the two together because these are big names, because these are people that we see all the time, right? Especially in the sport, we kind of give them a little bit more sway than I think that they have. And when his answer, when that question was asked to him, Eddie George's answer was that a football coach can't fix it. And that's the attitude everybody should have. And I think a lot of people have it. I don't want to make it seem like it's a, a rare or a, a unpopular opinion or anything, but I think too often there's some people who just look at the big name coach and think, oh, you can fix everything. No, he's a football coach. He'll be able to fix some things with the program. Yeah, I think he can do that. But the idea that he can just, what more would it, like when I, I seen when Dion left, people were like, what more could Jackson State have wanted? You know, he did it. All problems aren't going to be fixed by coaching football. And I'm glad that George didn't put that pressure, that extra on himself to be able to fix anything other than maybe football. I thought that was a problem with what Ed Reed did. I thought he put too much on himself to be able to save the day. So don't treat a football coach like you can save the day. You wouldn't treat Willie Simmons like that. So don't think just because Eddie George is a uh, NFL great, Tennessee Titan great, like that he's just all of a sudden going to be able to fix everything. But he can change some things. Saying he can't save the day doesn't mean he can't make any change. Don't try to put those two together. One is an extreme, one is a realistic or a realistic expectation, excuse me, not unrealistic. You're looking at Eddie George saying, oh, I want to put a football operations building together. There's no reason that my team should have to do a whole 5K to get to all of the facilities that they have to get to on a regular day. They have to go to these facilities. Why are they going all around the campus? Let's just go ahead and put them into one building. 
It's just easy. See, Ed Reed, or excuse me, Eddie George, I'm a, I hope I don't make that mistake too much, but you look at, I'm just going to call him George. When you look at George, he has experience as a Tennessee Titan, as an Ohio State Buckeye. He has experience with finances as well, not just saying taking care of his own money, but we'll get to that. That's actually how he was able to get the job, how he was able to establish a relationship with President Glover because he was handling some sort of finances and stuff with her. So <laughs> you look at that experience that bodes well for everything that he's trying to do right now. He knows how he feels like a, a top-tier program should be ran. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And he also knows how to handle money. So he also knows, okay, I understand this is my budget. This is how I'm going to handle and direct the, the funds to what we need to get done. That's all I'm looking for. But then his story. Eddie George's journey to coaching at Tennessee State is really interesting to me because he didn't want to do it at all when he was given the opportunity. Like at all. He was felt offended by it. That's what he said. He thought they were going to ask for a donation, which he was fine doing. But being a coach, he's like, nah, that's not really what I want to do. And he wasn't going to do it. He sat down and actually thought about it. And then he started thinking about ways he would go about it. He said, okay, maybe this is something that I'd be interested in. You have, you have to realize this thing about George. is He's not like Sanders and Reed. He had no interest in being a coach. He had no experience. I know we always say that Sanders and Reed didn't have experience, but George really didn't have experience. Sanders was a high school coach. It doesn't stack up to the collegiate level. Of course, I understand. And you look at Reed, he was a part of the University of Miami coaching staff. I think he was a DB coach with the Buffalo Bills for maybe a year. They've been around coaching staffs. The closest that Eddie George had been around a coaching staff is being coached as a player. And he didn't have any interest. George, or excuse me, Reed and Sanders wanted to be coaches. Those are the differences. This opportunity was just given to George and he didn't even want it. Matter of fact, the only reason he didn't say no immediately is because he had a relationship with President Glover and he wanted to keep that relationship. He didn't want to burn bridges by just saying no immediately. So he said, I'll think about it. I'll pray on it. He went and told his wife about it as a joke and she questioned him. Why not? Then he actually thought about it because she said, why not? If he didn't want to not burn a bridge. If he didn't just throw that joke out to his wife, more likely than not, we're not seeing Eddie George as the Tennessee state head coach today. I just think that's such a fascinating story on how he was able to get there. And then just uh, one thing I want to say about his job security. I know that Tennessee state hasn't been the most successful, of course, you know, and that's something that he's trying to fix. But Shannon Sharp said, basically, most times a new hire gets two to three years to get their program together and shape it to how they want it. Now, I'm not trying to quote Shannon Sharp as the gospel, but Eddie George agreed to that. And you combine that with the other ways that he was talking about his job at Tennessee State and just how he it seems like they have an open line of communication, a very clear understanding. And if that wasn't the case, that couple of years to mold his his team into his image, I don't think he would have went up there and agreed and talked about how he had to weed people out. Still kind of weeding people out, but now he's starting to make it his own. So that's something I thought was interesting. He talked about his view of HBCU coaching, his journey to an HBCU coach or being an HBCU coach, and then also the security of him still being an HBCU coach. It's like the whole big trifecta that you need to know and think about how Eddie George views his job at Tennessee State and then also HBCUs around the nation. If you haven't listened to that podcast, please do. It was an interesting uh, listen. I haven't heard it all. I still can't wait to finish. But if you haven't started, go ahead and start now. And as we continue with our podcast that you're tapping into right now, I appreciate that. We're going to be talking about Virginia Union versus Virginia State and why this could end up being the CIAA regular season championship game in men's basketball as we continue with Locked on HBCU. 
before we get into that, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more when you visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. And we're all about the Super Bowl. We got Joshua Williams in the Super Bowl. Do we think that Jalen Hurts is going to throw an interception? Do we think that Patrick Mahomes is going to throw an interception? Um, how many yards altogether are both teams going to get? If you had an under-the-radar guy, and by under-the-radar, I mean not Hurts, not Mahomes. If you had an under-the-radar guy to win MVP, who is it? Who's your dark horse? These are the things that we're looking at here on the show because it's Super Bowl season. There ain't nothing else we're talking about betting. I don't care how many—I don't care if I have to repeat the same thing. I'm not talking about a single bet of anything else. Ah, I lied. Oh, no. It'll be recorded. LeBron may or may not have broken the uh, the record by the time y'all hear this, because I ain't going to put it out till Wednesday morning. But I don't think, I think he's going to get it. He dressed uh, to the nine to do it. But but you can bet on all of these things on FanDuel, and that's the last non-football reference I'll make. But go ahead and go to FanDuel.com and bet on whatever your prerogative is. Met, make every moment more. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And as we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day for your second listen, make sure you're checking out Locked on College Basketball, which is everything you need around the sport in one place, wherever you get your podcast, including wherever you're listening or watching me right now. And we're going to talk about this Virginia Union versus Virginia State game because as we sit here today, they are the two teams who are tied for first place in the CIAA. And they faced off earlier in the season. I don't remember if I said it at that time or not about how big this rematch could be. I really felt like I did, but it was always a feeling that, you know what? These two could really decide something at the end of the season. They play the last game of the year, so it's not the next game. We're not previewing a game or anything. We're just kind of setting the scene for what possibly could be. We always feel like it could be something, and now as we've gotten closer to that last game, the picture has become clear. It looks as if they could decide who's going to be the CIAA regular season champion in men's basketball so here's the thing the north has been good but if we're only talking about the north shaw isn't close enough to catch either one of those teams right like shaw would have to win out and those teams would have to lose out which isn't possible i think shaw is currently sitting at six and six it's very unlikely that shaw gets there right but there are teams in the south that could be the first place team in the conference looking at fayetteville claflin winston-salem all of those teams are eight and four so why am I saying that I feel that Virginia Union versus Virginia State four games down the road is going to be the deciding factor in the conference number one seed? Why would I say that when these two teams or these three teams are so close to them? Well, I look at Claflin. I look at Winston-Salem. I look at Fayetteville. They all play each other. All three of them play each other. First off, only one team can win out. So at least two of them are going to have an extra loss. At least. Maybe even three. Got four games left. They all play each other. You could reasonably see where maybe Claflin beats Winston-Salem. 
Winston-Salem beats Fayetteville and Fayetteville beats Claflin. Like you could still see that situation happening and it wouldn't be crazy because they are really good teams. And they're a game behind. You look at Winston-Salem and Fayetteville State. They both lost to Virginia Union and Virginia State when it was conference schedule. Fayetteville actually beat Virginia State before conference schedule began. However, once the conference record started being counted, they did lose. So that's what really matters. You're losing a tiebreaker. You can't tie with either one of those teams. So you have to best them. You're facing two top-tier uh, top teams in your own division while you're still a game back of the leader in the conference. Ah, I highly doubt you're going to be able to get a, a one-game lead on either one of those schools. I just don't think it's going to happen. Now, Claflin, they beat Union. They didn't beat State, but they did beat Union. So a two-way tie would go their way. Other than that, the South is losing in that in that aspect. They'll just have to wait to be the better team in the tournament, which is nothing wrong. This is that's really what matters when we're talking about getting to the the uh, the playoffs and whatnot. That's really what the the goal is, the tournament. But being the number one seed ain't a bad thing to say that you have. Now let's look at Virginia Union and Virginia State's schedule. Because they're nine and three, only one game ahead, but I'm talking like they're just gonna run through the competition. Not the case. Not the case at all. You look at Union. They have Lincoln. They beat Lincoln in a real close overtime game, only two points of victory. You look at Bowie State, they blew them out. You're hoping to replicate that in the second matchup. And then you're looking at Shaw. They only beat Shaw by three points the first time they played all of these teams because they played everybody at this point. These are tough games. These aren't easy games. These aren't games you're just going to walk through. I'm not trying to make it sound like they're playing Rudy Poos or nothing of the sort. I just feel like you've already beat these teams. You probably won't lose out. You probably won't lose out because after those three, you play Virginia State. Now, Virginia State's schedule goes like this. You got Shaw, so they both play Shaw. They lost to Shaw the first time. Then you have Elizabeth City State and Bowie. You beat both of those teams the first time you played them. I think it's a very realistic situation that both of these teams could lose a game. I don't know who it's going to be to, but it wouldn't be crazy. Like, Virginia State could lose to Shaw again. And then you look at Union, they could lose either one of these games that they had close matchups against. But here's the thing. Let's say that they do lose that. Let's say that Union loses to Lincoln and they lose to Shaw. Virginia State just loses to Shaw. Now you're looking at a situation in the last game. I'll do the math for you so you ain't got to think about what the records would be like. Virginia State will have a one-game lead on Virginia Union. But here's the thing. If Union wins, they swept the series and they would be the number one seed. If I'm not mistaken, I believe after conference record, the next tiebreaker is divisional record, which means that Union would win that tiebreaker too. Virginia State would have to have an outright better score or better record than Virginia Union in order to win the CIAA. And I know we're four games away, but this is something that you need to track. If Virginia Union needs to have, or excuse me, Virginia State needs to have a better record, period, that means they can't lose likely. They likely cannot lose. Or they just they have to make sure they beat Virginia Union. That's the most important thing. But you see how everything comes back to that final game of the season? Because the stakes are high. Even if Virginia Union looks like, ah, they might lose this time. If they knock off Virginia State, it's their number one seed to have. And vice versa as well. More likely than not. More likely than not. Just remember that Virginia Union has more cushion than State. That's going to be an important part to remember. And remember that as we come for or excuse me, remember that as we continue going forward with Locked on HBCU. When we talk about Morgan State, the only undefeated team in HBCU basketball, period. No parameters on it. The only one. We're going to talk about them as we wrap up today's episode.
And that's wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU. Morgan State is the only undefeated team. Morgan State women's basketball is the only undefeated team in HBC ball. I don't care if you're talking about the CAA with ANC and Hampton, men's or women. I don't care if you're talking about SWAC, MEAC, OVC, men's or women. Doesn't matter. There's only one team that's undefeated in conference play, of course. We're talking about the Morgan State Lady Bears. They're 7-0. and They're on a seven-game win streak. And let's talk about the two reasons why I think that win streak is significant. One, you're the only undefeated team. That's, that's important. I think that's a nice distinction to have this late in the season. You're looking at the middle of or beginning of February that we're sitting at right now. It's not like we're talking about three games in. Oh, you just so happen to be the only 3-0 and team. Good for you, but that's not overly impressive. You're 7-0. and You are 7-0, and and that's another thing that it means, or excuse me, before I get ahead of myself, Morgan State, looking at where they were projected to be, this is outplaying that by far. Yeah, they were fourth, and that's not too low. It's not seven or eight. I'm not going to sit here and drum up the story because you could easily fact check me. I don't want you to do that, and I'll be wrong just making stuff up. But they were the fourth seed, projected to be the fourth seed in the MEAC this year. But they didn't get any first place votes. So nobody expected them to be this good. Now, of course, they have to finish that off. They can puff out their chest at the end of the year when they are able to complete this, this whether it's a winning streak of 14-0 or not, or if they just end up being the first seed. Then you can puff your chest out because it's unfinished business. See, seven games played means you played everybody in your conference once. Seven games won in seven games means you've beaten everybody in your conference once. You made that first lap, knocked off everybody. Now this second lap is coming. You started off with Norfolk. You got that second lap, and now you're going to be able to run that undefeated streak. I'll say this, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, so I'm going to say it. I'm just going to move on after that. We just had an undefeated women's basketball team in Jackson State last year. It ain't, it ain't, it ain't too far removed. All right, I'm moving on. Let's talk about how they were able to get to this streak. Let's see what they were able to do. Well, you look at the fact they're not even having close games. The smallest margin of victory is 10 points, so every single win is a double-digit victory. That's, that's first off acknowledge that. That's dominance to me. Then you look at the fact that they do have the ability to play suffocating defense. They've scored over 70 points in four games. In three of the four games that they did that, they did need to do it. They had some good offenses that they were going against. You look at that first game against North Carolina Central. That first game against North Carolina Central, they, they let up 71 points. They ain't let up 71 points since, but they dropped 81. So when they did need to bail out their defense, which isn't all the time, they did it. So the three games that I said they needed, they allowed more than 60 points. Other than that, the other four games in the conference, less than 50. Not even in the 50s, less than 50. The next highest after you get past those 60-point allowed games is 49. So like I said, they have the ability to be a suffocating defense. They're second in total defense, in, in scoring defense, excuse me. I got my mind on football still. But you're looking at second in scoring defense. You're looking at, at third in scoring offense. So they have the ability to be a suffocating defense. They have the ability to be an explosive offense. I told you they put up 81 points versus North Carolina Central. Don't allow the defensive dominance to fool you. They do both. Get you a team who can do both. You'll have success. It's not hard to understand. You got two top five scores. You got, you got, uh, you turn over the ball the least amount in the conference. Second most forced turnovers in the conference. They do the things that are obvious, the things that you jump to, like scoring, but then they also have the things like they're first in steals. They don't turn over the ball. They're safe with the ball. We don't really talk about teams who are safe with the ball. We talk about teams who loosey-goosey with the ball and give it up all the time. But we don't really talk about the team that just, they get their job done. That's not discussed as much. Should be, but it isn't. So 
They do everything well, pretty much. And I know I'm jinxing. I feel like I'm giving them the, like the, the biggest kiss of death ever. Because they do have seven games left. They'll probably lose the next one just because I'm, I'm over here praising them. I feel like every time I praise the team, they, they just they fall flat on their face. But hopefully that isn't the case. You heard it first. Morgan State, Lady Bears. I ain't got a dog in this race or anything. But I need y'all to win y'all next game so that I don't feel like I gave you the kiss of death. But I appreciate y'all for making us your first listen of the day every day. For your second listen, make sure you're checking out the Locked On College Basketball podcast, which is wherever you listen to them or watch them, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, so on and so forth. Y'all know the drill. Make sure you're listening to them as well after this. On tomorrow's episode, we're going to be talking about FAMU's recruiting class because FAMU and Alabama A&M were ranked top five by 24-7 in their recruiting class. But in the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.